Edutainment Learning is powered by Academica Virtual Education and Collegia TV. For more information, visit www.edutainmentlearning.com. Uh, my name is Jeb Bush. I was governor of the state of Florida from 1999 to 2006. Ran for governor in 1994 and lost. Um, have been involved in business uh, both prior to my time as governor and afterwards. And um, I, I ran for governor because I had the experience of being secretary of commerce in the state that worked for the governor. And I saw firsthand the leadership role that a governor plays in American life. And I really like the idea of advancing ideas and turning them into reality to help people. Um, others are, are, you know, migrate towards the legislative branch of our government at the Washington and state levels. But I, I was uh, really, really uh, inspired uh, by the possibilities of leadership of being governor. And you've done a lot of things um, when it comes to being governor. A lot, the majority of our student questions that got sent to me already have to do with your work in education. Do you mind if I jump straight into those student questions? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, very good. And guys, keep those questions coming. Some of them I'll read uh, and others I'll let you guys unmute. But one of our kids wanted to know, uh, what were the biggest challenges you faced in implementing education reforms in the state of Florida and, and how'd you overcome those? Well, um, education at, at this, you know, policy is done at the state level in the United States, and there are a lot of entrenched interests. Um, government run monopolies really focus on the economic interests of the people inside the system. It's not to say there aren't dedicated teachers, there are people that really care for uh, students learning, but the systems are really very bureaucratic, uh, they resist change. So the first step of, of advocating meaningful change is to do it and take a risk. In other words, you know, when I was a candidate, I laid out exactly what I wanted to do. And back then it was pretty radical what I proposed. Um, I went to visit 250 schools as a candidate. Uh, which was kind of unusual, a little obsessive maybe, but the, the thought was that the people inside the system that resisted the change, I wanted to show that at least they had to understand I had a heart for this. I was serious about it. It wasn't a political, you know, position. It was something that I really felt was important for our state. So I went to the lion's den 260 times actually, and uh, never wavered from what I wanted to do and gave enough details so that when I got elected, um, it was easier to get the meaningful legislation passed, uh, which was, you know, accountability and parental choice and creating early literacy strategies, a whole array of, of uh, changes that raised expectations and teachers and students rose to the challenge and we, we had great gains to begin with. And rather than just kind of politically, you know, you check the box to move on to the next policy, uh, we took advantage of the success we had to create another iteration of reform. We did that pretty consistently for eight years. And then, frankly, other governors and legislatures in Florida have continued on that path. So it's been a, a period of successive uh, reforms, one after another, that has yielded pretty good results. And thank you for your work with that. A lot of us uh, professionally would not be here if it wasn't for... <laughs> for your work. So we, we can't thank you enough. 
Um, I have a question. Uh, we have a question from one of the students in France. He's an Italian student living in France. This is Leonardo. Leonardo, you should be able to unmute. You had a really good question for Governor Bush. Uh, go ahead and unmute to ask. Yes, hi. So I would like to ask you, how did you gain people's heart and therefore vote? You know, um, that's a great question. When I ran in in '94, now that's a long time ago, but that was a that was a what we would now call a red wave across the country. Republicans won almost every race. I was one of the losers, <laughs> and uh, a couple other significant races that 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 happened, and it was principally because I didn't show my heart. I had all these you know, white papers with all sorts of detailed plans, but I never gave people a, a sense of why I was doing it. Why, you know, why be governor? Did I care about people? Did I care about people who, you know, were struggling? Um, I didn't show my heart. And um, in politics, that's really important. So I learned from that. You know, one of the lessons in life is when you fail is the best time to reassess and to learn and to be better when everything goes great you know you never really you kind of feel like well you know things are going great i'm great everything's great you never really um force yourself to realize you can be better when you lose you generally in life whether it's in business or family or school or politics you know you adjust and you you um figure out how to be better. And I learned in 94 that I needed to show my heart. So what did I do? Well, when I ran again, after I decided to do it, I, I did a campaign by wandering around. You know, I, I went to juvenile justice courts and sat with the judge to see how the system was failing all these kids that were repeat offenders. There was no, these kids had no hope. Uh, I went to the child welfare system and, and, dealt with the dependency courts. Uh, and I went to visit, as, as I said, 250, 260 schools. And I, I learned to tell the things that I believed were important to change by telling stories rather than laying out a five point plan, if you will. So um, it, was a, it, was, it was an important reason why I won in, in 1998. I won by, you know, by a lot. Um, if had I just continued down the path that I did in 1994, I might have lost. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But um, in, in life, in politics, in any relationship you have, it's important to, to show your heart, to show that you care. Um, that's what people are desperately seeking, maybe now more than ever. It's, it's a great question. It's a, it's a good way to guide your life, too, um, not, just, not just as a candidate, but as a person. Excellent answer. Excellent advice. Um, that kind of uh, curtails a little bit on one of the questions that one of the kids just emailed me. They want to know, as a former governor, uh, what key qualities do you believe are essential for effective leadership? Well, well, there's a lot. Um, the one that's understated now, um, I think there are two attributes that people don't necessarily consider as important today as we look at our national political situation, um, but are really important. One is curiosity. It's really important. Again, th these, are, these are attributes that don't necessarily just apply to a public leadership position. It's being curious is really important in life. I mean, 
knowing, you know, if you start with the premise, you don't have it all figured out. You don't, you know, that you, you know, there's, there's lots that you don't know. The best way to get better at anything is to be curious and to seek answers, to ask questions. Um, when, when you're governor, you know, people want you to have an opinion on everything. They want to hear you talk about things, but good leaders are curious. They ask questions. They listen more than they talk. So that's an attribute that I learned kind of through trial and error. Um, it also makes life a lot more interesting when you're constantly learning. I still do that. I'm an early riser. I, I read. Um, I'm always curious about things I don't understand. I'm really curious right now about artificial intelligence, its impact on society, its impact on business, its impact on my grandkids. How the what's the world going to look like with this explosion of artificial intelligence um, and these learning models? How how's that going to impact jobs? You know, I'm really curious about that, and I'm trying to learn. The second attribute that I think is important to be effective leader goes against the grain of what people think in terms of politicians is humility. Um, I, I tire of the arrogant public figures that um, that think they know it all. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just tiring to me. I, I, I find it really boring to hear politicians brag about how great they are, exaggerate everything. Um, I really admire the politicians that have humility, that share credit, that, uh, you know, if they're people of faith, give glory to God. If they're, you know, they're, if their team members have done extraordinary things, they don't take credit. They, they uh, give credit to the people that did the work, um, that build team. Um, humility is really important to be successful in leadership positions. In politics today, um, somehow we equate strength with bombacity. You know, the louder voice seems to be strong, but that's not how life works and that's not how leadership works. Um, so those would be two attributes that you probably don't hear when, when, when people, when, you know, or you ask that question. Um, humility and curiosity would be the ones that I think are really important. And by the way, as I said, those aren't attributes just for politicians. Those are attributes for successful people. That's wonderful advice. And, and you make a very good point, valid point. Those are very rare attributes in, in leaders in, in this day and age. So I hope you students are taking notes that that could, that could get you uh, a lot of places, a lot of wonderful places in the world. Hey, and, and for younger people, I would give this advice. Uh, go, if you, if you've, you know, you're on, a, you're on your life's journey and you're thinking about doing something and you're excited about it, uh, but you're not quite sure, go ask someone who's already done it. Go, people, people love to get, they're flattered when you, when you ask them for advice. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of respect. It's, they will generally respond. Even if they don't know you, if you're sincere about the ask, um, be curious enough uh, and have enough humility to know you don't have, don't have it figured out and go, go ask people that, probably have learned, maybe they made mistakes uh, in pursuit of their dreams that, that they could share with you to give you some insights on, on um, how to do it right. So seek out the best advice you get and you'll be, you'd be surprised how many people will respond in a positive way.
That's amazing. I love it. Um, you have so many good quotes just <laughs> when you're talking. Uh, so one of the kids uh, wanted to know, uh, Florida faces unique environmental challenges. Um, what did you implement to protect Florida's natural resources? And, and what were the results of that? So we, um, we had a program called Florida Forever, which was the successor of a, 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 a land purchasing program that was set up under Governor Martinez and continued under Governor Childs, bipartisan, broad support um, in the legislature, where we purchased, it was the largest land buying uh, program in the country for any state government. By far, we, during my uh, eight years, we invested $3 billion buying pristine lands uh, they were part of the watersheds across the state. They were in, you know, swamp lands uh, that need to be protected because Florida is kind of unique. Our water, I mean, we get 50, 55 inches of rainfall on a peninsula. It's a massive amount of water, but we don't, we don't have any mountains. We don't have any reservoirs. So a lot of that water goes out to tide. Most of it does. And, and then you have the pressures of development because we're a fast growing state. So these natural systems are constantly being pressured and um thanks to my predecessors and we built i think uh, built on the success of the previous program we created florida forever and uh we we purchased a million acres of land to protect it from development for the rest you know forever and uh, so that would be one thing that we did legislature was uh supportive of our efforts to clean up water bodies a lot of stormwater runoff is a big problem in, in urban areas. So lakes, canals, others, other places required a, a lot of cleanup. And then, and then I'd say what, we're mo what, what I was most known for was building a bipartisan consensus on how to begin the process of replumbing the, the whole system around the Everglades. Um, it was a $8.5 billion project that uh, was initiated 50-50 match between the state and federal government. We got lots of consensus between the agriculture, environmental groups that have constantly were fighting one another, but they agreed uh, with this plan to create stormwater uh, treatment areas, to build um, reservoirs, to clean the water as it went from Lake Okeechobee. If you see a map on Florida, the water percolates south slowly into the Everglades from north, from actually from the headwaters in Orlando all the way down. So this was a really complex, big engineering project to redo what was done that created um, real perils for the Everglades. That project, that, that work is still ongoing, um, but it's one place that I'm proud that Florida doesn't have a big, you know, re Republican governors have embraced this, Democrat governors have embraced it. Um, and similarly, there's, there's bipartisan consensus to continue on with this project. So Florida's an interesting place where there has been real efforts to protect the natural systems and, and protect the natural environment because that's the reason why people come down here. If we, were, if we ignored the natural beauty of, the, of our state, um, we wouldn't have the kind of prosperity that we have. Amen. What a beautiful state it is. And guys, if uh, you, you haven't been to Florida and you get an opportunity, definitely do it. Uh, we'll go with a few more student questions. We'll let you go because we know it's getting kind of late for some of our kids in Europe. But this is Irene. 
in Italy. And Irene, you had an awesome question. Go ahead and ask. Hello. Uh, for you, what is the best part of being the leader of such a big uh, country as Florida is, a big state as Florida is? Oh, wow. I had, a, I had a blast doing it. The bad days were good and the good days were great. Um, you know, I, I had so much joy in serving. So I don't know. There's a, there were a lot of things I loved doing. Um, I had a, a, I had this belief that um, I really want to stay connected to the 18 million people that now, now there's 24 I think, million people live in Florida. So I gave out my email address to everybody. It's jeb at jeb.org, still is. You can try it out, see, see if I respond. And um, I, got, I got amazing uh, you know, concerns, questions. Uh, I, I had a half a million emails that came in to my personal email account during my eight years. And it, would have, it got bigger and bigger as I went along, but I learned a lot. Uh, it gave me great joy to, to help people. I'll never forget there was one lady who was an elder. She said, I'm an elderly lady. Uh, I live in Delray Beach. She emailed me. She said, there's a varmint, which, you know, like a raccoon or a possum in my attic. I want it, I want to get, I want it out. What are you going to do about it? That was her question. She sent me an email like at 10 o'clock at night. So I sent her an email back. I'm on it. And I, the next morning I called the city manager of Delray uh, because that's not the job of the governor to take out um, varmints from people's attics. Uh, that's animal control that's done at the local level. And I called the city manager and I said, I just got this email from this nice lady. She's upset. There's, she can't get anybody to come out and you know, get her possum out of her attic. What are you going to do about it? And then he responded, I'm on it. And uh, within 24 hours, the varmint was taken out of the attic. So that's a small version of like thousands of the things I did to try to help in small ways. Um, and back to humility, it's kind of humble to be able to remember your, remind yourself you're a servant, not a leader. And helping people on their agenda is a lot more important than at, in implementing your own agenda. So for that lady, the varmint in her attic was a lot more important than my plan to empower parents to choose where their kids went to school. And um, just being, having, being reminded of that each and every day uh, turned what would have been considered by most a burden, turned it into something really joyful. And so the cumulative effect of doing all that was yeah, maybe, the, maybe the best part of the job. And the other is to take an idea and then convert it into policy, to implement faithfully, uh, to be able to improve, you know, life. So you know, Florida went from 50th out of 50 states in the high school graduation rate to above, above the national average. Went from 50% of the kids graduating in high school in the proper num you know, number of years to, um, to 90% today. We went from bottom of the pack in terms of reading and math on the nation's report card to top, you know, top quintile. So seeing through a lot of hard work by a whole lot of people um, changing our policies and implementing them correctly, yielding rising student achievement was maybe the thing that gave me the most joy in terms of policy. That's amazing. And, you know, you're one of the most selfless people that I've ever met, uh, especially as, you know, a civil servant. 
um, just what what motivated you for uh, to can you continue to be active when it came to uh, education with Excel and Ed, the Foundation for Excellence in Education. What what was behind that? Well, we wanted to um, Excel and Ed Foundation for Excellence in Education was set up the year after I left, and um, it was partially set up to protect the reforms that were in place that were yielding really good results. Um, and that's to this day that continues to be partially the case. You know, we take the Florida story and we help other states implement it. But now we're into, um, you know, the world's changed and we have other elements of our agenda where we're the kind of the go-to policy foundation to help people. And my job is to encourage governors and political leaders to be bigger and bolder, to, you know, not let the clock run out without trying to really meaningful move the needle to help um, the next generation. Because the world we're moving in, I'm motivated now to see the world we're moving in. If you're, if you, if you can't think critically, if you can't read properly, if you don't understand why math is relevant in your life going forward, you don't have a sense of history. If you don't embrace the sciences, you're, it's harder to be successful going forward than it was a generation ago. That's the world we're moving towards. Um, massive disruption because of technology. And either, you know, you can, you can ride the technological wave which is with a high quality, robust education or you'll be drowned by it. So now um, my motivation is to try to encourage political leaders to get off their butt and to be bigger and bolder about changing things to, to mirror the 21st century that we're living in. Our education system is, was designed in the mid 20th century and still operates as though it's 1955. And that's just, that's tragic for millions of kids. And I'm sure it's not, I think it's not dissimilar in, in Europe as well. So um, it's time for our political leaders to be a little bigger and bolder and worry about the students in our systems rather than the economic interests of the adults. And I'm pretty passionate about that. And that's why I stay involved. Yeah, you guys are doing some amazing work. Uh, guys, definitely check that check that out on their website. I just put it in the chat and we'll have it available on the podcast. Um, so before we let you go, I always ask our guests this um, every, every single time we we're fortunate to have this. What kind of advice would you have, Governor Jeb Bush, for these kids as they go on to the next chapter of their lives? Um, I, I don't know if uh, this is a, a bigger, as a bigger problem in Europe, but in the United States, I think young people uh, want it all planned out. They want, you know, like, you know, if you're, a, if you're a young adult, you know, you hear kids, well, I'm going to get a dog first. Um, uh, you know, like marriage is, is deferred forever. Here now, kids don't, they don't want to drive cars. They don't date. Um, social media is really kind of poisonous. So the first advice I have is don't use social media to the extent that, that it's being used today. Turn it off. Um, there's a lot of incredible opportunities to interact with like human beings and you'll learn a lot more and you'll be more resilient and you'll have uh, friendships that will last a lifetime that aren't in, in the cyber world. They're actually real uh, relationships. Um, and the second is to take risks, not that you embrace the unforeseen and the unknown. Like I'll, I'll give you one example and I'm not bragging here. It's just the way I was brought up and I fell in love when I was 17. 
and I'm celebrating next February, uh, February 23rd, my 50th wedding anniversary. So I've, I've known my wife now for 53 years. I wanted to marry her like the month after I met her. I, it, she, she had a different view on this, but that was my view. So rather than have it all planned out and figure, oh my God, you know, I can't do it. Got to have a job, got to do this. I mean, I, I embrace the unforeseen and unknown every aspect of my life um, starting out. And the pursuit of life was a lot more interesting than having it all planned out. So take some risk. Don't, don't have it all planned out. The, the joy of life is figure it out as you go along. It's not, you know, life just, it just doesn't work linearly. It works one step forward, two steps back, five steps forward. You know, life is, is full of uh, interesting things, but you got to pursue it. You got to be out there doing it. And I think too many young people are too cautious about things. And then they're enveloped in this crazy cyber world that is, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of research to suggest that the kids that are more resilient are the ones that avoid being uh, immersed in social media. Amazing advice. And you have one of my favorite quotes where you say leaders lead, they don't divide, they don't create a climate that is poisonous. And thank you for leading, uh, leading with your heart. Uh, thank you for all of your tireless work uh, for us in education. We appreciate you greatly, Governor Bush. So before, before I let you go, I'm going to allow everyone to unmute. And can we all uh, say thank you to Governor Jeb Bush for taking the time out of his day to come talk to you. Thank you so much, Governor Bush. Thank you. Thank you so much, Governor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.